the purpose of these scripts is so that we we build bonds between us as leaders and our employees, not create barriers. So it's okay to put things in your own words. Make sure, pass that test, it's going to build a bond. And you can, you know, on this script, uh, uh, we're having this meeting because I want to call to your attention certain misconduct uh, that's that we need to address. And you say, you, you name the conduct. And then you say, from this point forward, we're all going to follow this thing. And it's how to handle objections, how to, uh, how to address it, and then you reset the clock. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for customers, shareholders, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. While some leaders are too cavalier about compliance with employment-related laws and regulations, I'm seeing a lot of leaders grow increasingly fearful of getting dragged into court for perceived mistreatment of an employee or simply offending an employee's sensibilities. And there comes a point where leaders' proactive efforts to be respectful and affirming of employees' contributions to the organization slip into walking on eggshells to avoid any conflict in the organization. And at all costs, we must avoid any risk of litigation. Well, our guest today says that this may be the first time in our nation's history when individuals in every single demographic group feel they're being treated unfairly, or are entitled to something without earning it. But, he says, with some planning and leadership training, most employee-related litigation can be avoided and, if worse comes to worse, successfully defended. Michael J. Maracci is recognized as a leading expert in employment-related lawsuit prevention. He's an employment law attorney dedicated to helping employers stay litigation-free. He has presented his Reset the Clock program almost 1,300 times to more than 32,000 leaders across North America. Mike is one of the HR Southwest Conference's highest-rated speakers, and he was recognized in 2013 as the first inductee into the HR Southwest Conference Speaker Hall of Fame. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Mike. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that introduction. So, well, you wrote it. So, <laughs> uh, but let's start with uh, your excellent training program that I've been through. Reset the clock. How did you come to create a program focused on leaders and their employee relations? Well, brings up some interesting history. I uh, had responsibility at Frito Lay for managing the defense of all employment-related litigation nationwide. And I put a team of attorneys together, some in-house counsel and some outside counsel. They didn't like me referring to them to outhouse counsel, so I had to stop doing that eventually. <laughs> we managed to win every single lawsuit filed against Frito-Lay in state and federal court for five consecutive years because we had a thoroughly effective compliance-based training program. And I realized something, that is the maximum positive effect you can have with a thoroughly effective compliance-based training program. You get to win all your lawsuits. I was not happy with that. So because it didn't exist, 
I decided to create a program that doesn't teach leaders what not to do. It shows them what to do, how to do it, when to do it, and why it's important. And I built into it this reset the clock feature, which is actually judicially created. But by building it through this entire two-day program, here's the result. It prevents attorneys from taking anything leaders did wrong or didn't do in the past and, and use it to attack them in future lawsuits. So the employer's liability clocks get bet, set back to zero, and so do the individual leaders. Five years of winning lawsuits wasn't good enough. And so uh, what was the goal? If, if it wasn't winning the lawsuit, was it just uh, you know avoiding the lawsuit altogether? Is that what your goal was with Reset the Clock? Because winning, winning all the lawsuits sounds like a pretty good deal to start with. It was, but I but but I want to trade being successful to being significant. To me, anybody can win lawsuits. My uh, employers win the vast majority of employment-related lawsuits. Now, <clears throat> the problem is leaders walk out of court never knowing these cases were truly avoidable. Employees walk out of court never knowing they had no chance of winning them. Many attorneys file cases on behalf of employees when the attorneys know up front they have no chance of winning this lawsuit. An example, an organization decides and wants to present a more professional image, so they give the employees free logoed shirts with this advice. So we all look nice. From now on, we're all going to tuck our shirts in. An employee says, thanks for the free shirt, but I'm not tucking it in. Hmm. After a bit of thought, he's told... As a condition of your continued employment, you will tuck the shirt in. He does it and gets fired, goes to an attorney, asks the question, doesn't free speech still apply in this country? Absolutely. Files the lawsuit. What did the judge say? There's no constitutional right not to tuck your shirt in. Did the attorney lie to him? Nope. Just didn't tell him that the question and the answer were irrelevant. An employee goes to a lawyer and the lawyer listens to his complaint, and then the lawyer says, you may have a good case. What's the one word in that sentence employees don't ever seem to hear? May. May. What did it cost this employee? $10,000 minimum in legal fees. Now, where did I get that number? Because that is probably the minimum an employee will have spent before the employee finds out the case is going nowhere. Problem is, employees don't know this. The courts are equally protective of the rights of leaders and employees. And a courtroom is the wrong place for anyone to find this out, Mike. You know, as you mentioned, a lot of training focuses on telling leaders what not to do. What's wrong with that approach? It shatters a team. Let's take the EO law. Right now at the federal level, there's nine protected statuses. Okay, if you pick up the states, since I work the whole country, there's 36 different protected status. But if I just pick up the protected status of the biggest cities in the country, there's at least 108 protected status. And bringing leaders in and telling them, even the small number, here's nine things I don't want you to concentrate on not paying attention to, that's a disaster. It shatters a team, and that's all they're going to pay attention to, even if it's one. For the next 10 seconds, Mike, I want you to think of nothing else other than a blue horse. See the problem? <laughs> okay. Right. What leaders should be told 
is the three things they're supposed to pay attention to, attendance, performance, and conduct. What employees don't understand is if a decision was made exclusively on attendance, performance, and conduct, and you happen to be in a protected status and challenge that decision, your claim is absolutely meritless. Meritless. That's how it works. So it's a whole lot easier for leaders to remember the three things they're supposed to pay attention to than some list of things they shouldn't. I have seen leaders get fired for discriminating. I've seen leaders get fired for not discriminating. There's illegal discrimination, race, sex, age, etc. And there's mandatory discrimination. If you can't make decisions on attendance, performance, and conduct, you don't belong in leadership. Yes, and we want to discriminate against those people who have poor conduct, poor attendance, and poor behavior performance. or yeah. Con- yeah, performance. Yeah, attendance, yeah. so performance, and conduct. Yeah. The way I, since I work with a lot of defense contractors, Mike, I tell them when soldiers go into an active fire zone, they're provided with a vehicle to keep them safe. It's called an armored personnel carrier. You go into a live fire situation right around on the outside of the APC, you're going to get picked off. Same with employee relations. Stay within the APC. You're safe. Step outside. You're not safe. There seems to be a big disconnect, and I I think it's growing, between employers' expectations of what they want from their employees and employees' expectations of what the employer should expect from them and what they expect from their employer. What do you think is causing that? Lack of sharing information with 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 employees. <clears throat> the editor for the Dallas Morning News in preparation for an article brought something to my attention. Mike, I've been talking to the top leaders of the biggest employers throughout the Dallas-Fort Worth area, asking them the same question and getting the same answer. The question, why do we keep having fresh employment-related lawsuits when the laws have been on the books for so long? The only answer I get, Mike is we have the best of intention to comply with these laws. And I said to the editor, that's what you're hearing? They have the best of intentions? <clears throat> we may judge ourselves by our intentions. Everybody else judges us by our actions. If you want to stay out of court, it's simple. Good faith effort that consists of three things. Excellent written policies and procedures. Before I go into any employer, I go through all their employee handbooks, their employment applications, exit forms, corrective action forms, performance appraisals, documents, everything you can think of. And I bring it state of the art. So no attorney can say, oh, your policy, your procedure is not as good as they should be. I was meeting with the HRVP of a large Dallas-Fort Worth employer. This is the second meeting to go over what I found in the employee handbook. And it was full of post-it note flags. And she agreed that all these changes had to be made. And I could tell she was frustrated. And I asked her, what's bothering you? Mike, we paid a large law firm a lot of money to write this handbook. And you just shredded it. And I said, large law firms control how their attorneys write handbooks. They write them so they're a source of defense for a long time. I think they should be written so they don't need to be defended at all. It's an entirely different mindset. Next thing, beyond having good policies, you have to have training programs for your leaders and training programs for your employees. I train the leaders, but I give the employers what they need in the way of scripts and handouts so they can run a meeting with employees called Towards a Harmonious Work Environment. 
And then the third thing, we have policies, we have training programs, and then the leaders have to actively enforce this. If there's a breakdown in the policy, breakdown in the training, breakdown in enforcement, well, you got good intentions. If there's not a breakdown, you're pretty darn safe. When when you're talking about, like you mentioned, the 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 management tools and like scripts, uh, how do you use scripts? I mean, is this just a practice to kind of give the, the you know, this leader some, some practice doing, you know, a performance management conversation? Or is this really a script that says, stay in these boundaries and follow these, follow this conversation and you'll be out of trouble? The whole participant manual is filled with scripts for handling sensitive employee relations issues. Want an example? Sure. A leader has been coaching an employee about a conduct issue or a performance issue. And then the leader had to do it again. Then the leader had to do it again and again and again. At some point in the process, the employee says, when are you going to stop harassing me about this? And an untrained leader says, this has nothing to do with your race, your sex, your age. That's a disaster. By naming those things out loud, that leader has inadvertently, unintentionally put it in the employee's mind that it's in leader's mind. Denials lead to disaster. So there's a script in the book. When I notice a problem, I'm going to tell you about it. This provides you with an opportunity to get it fixed. This process will continue until the problem is resolved. So the scripts are there throughout the whole book. And then behind the table of contents, there's a solutions finder that uh, leaders don't have to memorize the script or where it is. Go to the solutions finder, look it up. An employee says, hey, you just read that out of the book. Well, yes, I did. I'm glad you noticed. Credibility instead of liability. Don't be afraid of using these tools. And it's filled with scripts. How to, how to initially respond to uh, sexual harassment. How to disassociate yourself from discriminatory comments. How to handle threats and acts of violence in the, in the workplace. It's tons of scripts. How to address erratic job performance? Uh, uh, tons of scripts in there. So being so having scripts like that and tools that really focus the manager in on the core issue, rather than letting them get uh, let off track by an employee comment or concern that they they want to express how f- fair they are. I mean, that's one thing I've seen in terminations, right? Oh, this is hurting me worse than it's hurting you almost is what the employer says as they're firing somebody. And I'm, I'm like, that's not helpful to the situation for you to express how much it's painful for you to fire this guy. It's not, that's not the issue. Let's that, keep focused at these are the reasons we're making this decision. Here's what, here's the resources available to you on the way out. Adios. And and, but I, I see a lot of, of, of leaders who want to seem compassionate or want to seem fair or express that they're, you know, that they're not having any, they're not acting out of anything other than, a, a you know, on, they're not acting on a basis of, you know, discrimination or something. And they just dig themselves holes deeper. So these kind of tools you're talking about help them avoid doing that if you can keep, get them to stay on the script. Well, I get a commitment, one situation after another, that irrespective of how they handled this thing in the past, this is how we're going to handle it in the future. And I tell them at the end of this program, reset the clock has taken care of your past. You're going to have to take care of your future. 
keep the commitments that you made and use the tools that were put at your disposal. You know, you brought up the issue of discharge. There's a big difference in your comments. Tell me you recognize it between empathy and sympathy. Statements of sympathy. I'm sorry this is happening to you. That causes some distance, magnifies the feeling of being alone. Empathy is different. I can understand it's difficult news to get. Okay, but you stay away from apologies and you make sure you don't tell people things like not meeting our standards. You tie it down. We had a specific unresolved problem with your attendance, your performance, your conduct, and give them the details. Being clear is kind. Not being clear is not kind and it's not fair. The problem I've had with compliance-based training programs they bring people in and say, here are the legal standards and our policy is to follow the law. That's a disaster, okay? Because laws focus on what not to do. What are employee handbooks supposed to do? Provide more fairness than is legally required, but no one knows how to write a handbook that deals with every employee relations situation leaders likely to face. So what I tell them, demonstrating good judgment is within your control. The policies work for you, you don't work for the policies. You can always be better than your policy. You just can't be worse, okay? So demonstrate good judgment. Give your employees a square deal. And there's a four corners to a square. Be reasonable. Be consistent. Use common sense, common decency. If you're, if you're using good judgment, you're being fair. If you're being fair, you're using good judgment, okay? But I followed our policy is not a valid challenge to a discharge of a leader for poor judgment. No, I just use the term leader. I've heard you use the term manager. What I tell folks in the training program is we're going to use the term leader because you manage assets. You right. lead people. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I, I I published on the Texas Sherm website last year a term that we need to get rid of the term, man, or a blog that says we need to get rid of the term manager. You can manage assets. You can manage processes. You can manage computer code. You can't manage people. We're different yeah. every time we walk in the office. People are a hot mess. The best you can do is lead them and have them in and in a way that they'll follow and and uh, take guidance from you and and work towards the the organization's goals. Very good, Mike. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Now, I probably stole it from you from from hearing you at HR Southwest, you know, over the years. But I'm gonna, I took credit for it. Continue to do so. Okay. <laughs> you know, Mike, the nice thing about having put 32,000 people through this program in three countries, none of us is as smart as all of us. And I have right. learned a lot from my students. I've learned a lot from this HR community when I put these HR pro version of the program on. It's incredible how different industries have asked me to come up with specialized versions. So I have one for hospitals, one for police, one for fire, one for higher education. i got so many universities that want the program. Um, SMU, University of Texas, Baylor University, Amarillo College, Midland College, you name them. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour over certification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Resert Credits. Then select Episode 57 and enter the keyword Reset. That's R-E-S-E-T. And if you're looking for even more recertification credit, check out the webinars page at imperativeinfo.com. 
I have 10 hours of recorded webinars, each approved for an hour of recertification credit by both HRCI and SHRM. Three are even approved for HRCI business credit, and one qualifies for ethics credit. You can access all of these webinars for free at imperativeinfo.com. And now back to my conversation with Mike Marachi. Well, you mentioned being, you know, focusing on specific details in a termination. And I've got a running debate with some of my HR friends about how much information they should share with a candidate, job candidate, who got to a certain point in the interview process. And then for whatever reason, you know, wasn't the final candidate. Um, You know, the prevailing attitude in HR is, well, we just tell them we moved on to another candidate and close it there. And I've always, just my experience and and, and, uh, my attitude towards it's always been different than that, that in the absence of something reliable to take act, you know, to understand why they weren't the best candidate or uh, what what it was that led that direction uh, away from them, that decision away from their, them, they are always, you know, every candidate thinks they're the most qualified candidate you've ever had for that job. And they're always going to assume there was an unfair decision-making process if you don't give them any guidance, especially if you ghost them. But if you, you know, so what, where do you fall in that range between ghosting the applicant once you decide they're not the right one and, and giving them feedback uh, about uh, why you made the decision you made? I like the fact that you use the word candidate because when a position opens up, you may have 200 applicants, okay? But you don't have 200 candidates. So what I coach the uh, the HR department to do is meet with the manager and find out how long are we going to keep process A open, which is filling the applicant pool, uh, the the candidate pool. We're not going to put anybody into that pool unless they're, they're qualified. And how many people do you want in it? So say it's 30 days and... 30 candidates. You go to day two and you got 30 candidates in that pool. Shut down the faucet. Go to process P. B, evaluate the candidates in the pool. Now, in an interview, there are people that are candidates will ask you, how did I do to compare to all the other candidates you interviewed? The answer is in the book. It's scripted. I'm not comfortable discussing that at this point. Okay? Now, when uh, someone asks uh, a manager or an HR professional, you try to hire the best qualified people you you can find. Is that true? Actually, we selected the individual whose background and qualification more closely met our needs because if you're advertising, we're into diversity and all this thing, race and sex can never be qualifications. It's part of background. So don't be saying things that can get you in trouble. And if an unsuccessful candidate called, called, calls you up. You say, we selected someone else whose background and qualifications more closely met our needs and get off the phone. Okay. Handle it that way. So let's say an employer is moving along. They realize we need to change our policies. Uh, There's, you know, what we've done in the past hasn't served us well, or maybe it wasn't strictly as compliant as we need to be. And we need to, to make sure that as we train our managers, we're giving them the right tools, the right scripts, the right policies, whatever to follow to do that. But we know we've got this backlog in the past where we didn't necessarily do that. And so we're changing our process. And I think that's what the re- the whole point of resetting the clock is. Can you talk about how 
you know, we've got this point in, we've got this whole history, but now we're moving forward this way. How do we, how does, how do we reset the clock so that we're not creating liability uh, so people can point at our past behavior and say, hey, you, you weren't consistent? The very first procedure I cover in the program is a procedure for making change to terms and conditions of employment. I tell them this procedure we're going to go through, use it only to make changes to things that affect employee relations. And those are three, attendance, performance, and conduct standards. And there's a procedure. This is fully detailed. It says, first thing I want you to do is discuss it with HR so they know what you're doing. Then you have a group meeting with your employees. You explain to them what the change is, why the commitment to it is important, and the future date that's going to go into effect. You ask and answer their questions to confirm what they've expected, or what you expect of them. And then you say, <clears throat> can I have your commitment to the new standard? And then you see what happens next. Okay. And then there's a, there's wrinkles in the procedure for dealing with individuals that are concerned about the personal impact it's going to have on them. So if you've got any personal concerns about this, come see me in private. And when someone comes to you in private, explore available assistance to the employee. But whatever you do, don't change group expectations based on personal circumstances. And sometimes I'll get a question, does the American with Disability Act require us to adjust standards? And the answer is no. Here's what we can do that's effective, that's reasonable, doesn't represent an undue hardship that will allow you to meet the standard, but we're not changing the standards. Okay. And then you close out the meeting by telling people, uh, now that you've committed to this, if there's uh, anyone that, uh, if, if there's not failure to demonstrate a commitment or have an appropriate response. And I can't tell you what that would be, but the options are there. So that that's something that I've had senior leaders tell me they love that procedure. There's also another procedure for dealing with previously unaddressed misconduct. Well, you've been putting up with stuff you didn't know to. So there is a procedure in the course for addressing previously unaddressed conduct. And uh, they love that one too. So yeah, yeah. Give me the overview of that one because that's something that you know, and I'm sure you've seen it. There are managers who'll put up with a lot, and then there's the straw that broke the camel's back, and they've never addressed those previous issues. But now they want to roll them all into a big giant bag of crap and lay it on the employee, saying, "Hey, these are all the things you've ever done wrong," and they've never addressed it up until this point. So. How do you how do you make that a clean cut and 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 move forward and just address the current behavior? On the list of eight fundamental duties that all employees owe to their employer are these three: avoid excessive unplanned absences, show up for work, perform the job. I get leaders to focus on the two things we're supposed to focus on: quantity and quality of work. And the next is get along with coworkers. There are very few people that demonstrate such severe personal and attitude issues, they've basically self-selected out of the workforce, but leaders put up with it, okay? So what I want them to know is when you have an individual that has developed a serious personal attitude issue, who would that be? Someone that was on the team for five years, got along with everybody, then two things happened to have occurred. They've, they've gone through this post-hire personality shift. Maybe their coworkers have informally diagnosed the employee is suffering from OPD, 
obnoxious personality disorder. There's no <laughs> reason to let any employee who meets your attendance to performance standards but displays unacceptable conduct frustrate you because you have a right to judge the acceptability of their conduct measured against the job needs. So there's a whole script in the book for a group meeting. Why a group meeting? First of all, you pick a day when this individual has not demonstrated problematic behavior. You hope you're going to catch them in a lull, and they'll sit through this meeting and hear with all the other employees what we put up with yesterday. We're not going to put up with any more. And you bring them in, and you and you you run the script. Uh, uh, so they don't feel targeted. You're, you're addressing it to the whole group. Okay, that's right. And then there's the, the script is fully defined, and I and I tell leaders for all these scripts, they represent my best effort to have it sound appropriately so you don't sound like a lawyer because if you talk to your employees and you sound like a lawyer that's who they're going to talk to next right okay? that puts them on the defensive right yeah if, if you're using legal language and all of that they're wondering what are they hiding or what are they trying to tiptoe around or whatever mm -hmm. and then i also tell them the purpose of these scripts is so that we we build bonds between us as leaders and our employees, not create barriers. So it's okay to put things in your own words. Make sure, pass that test, it's going to build a bond. And you can, you know, on this script, uh, uh, we're having this meeting because I want to call to your attention certain misconduct uh, that's that we need to address. And you say, you, you name the conduct. And then you say, from this point forward, we're all going to follow this thing. And it's how to handle... The script can, can, contains how to handle objections, how to uh, how to address it, and then you reset the clock. And, and and same thing with all sensitive employee relations issues. If there's something that's employee relations that isn't in this course or in this manual, I don't. It's something the HR community and I don't know about. Okay, every now and then I'll get hit with. Uh, a new thing. And I'll, I'll tell you one. I was out in California doing this for a fire department. <clears throat> Actually, I was in Virginia doing it for a fire department last week. <laughs> okay, But they said, Mike, we've got a firefighter here who's stressing everybody out. And go, what's the issue? He's constantly talking about discrimination, but not discrimination in the firehouse. He's talking about discrimination in society constantly. So I gave him a script. Since we have demonstrated a commitment to equal employment opportunity, such comments about what's going on in society at this level of frequency is more likely to have an alienating effect, not a positive one. Coaching is not retaliation. It's what you're supposed to do. So that, that what, after that, I added that script to the book. So I only get about three weeks before I'm making improvements to the book. So if I would want to give uh, credit for authorship to how this is as good as it is, it's the students, okay? Well, I mentioned I work with a lot of defense contractors. The engineer said, Mike, I don't have time to become an HR professional, legal expert. Tell me what you want me to say, how you want me to say, what all the wrinkles. So that's what I did. I built the program so, along those lines. So that's a question that comes up a lot. I mean, we're a pretty politically divided nation and we got a 24 hour news cycle and everybody's, you know, you've got certain groups in your employee population are fired up about this or that issue. Um, is that the same kind of script you would, you know, what you just talked about uh, with this California firefighter? 
the same kind of script you would you would deliver in those situations? Because I know a lot of employers who are really cautious and, and scared, nervous, if not scared, about addressing, okay, this employee is expressing these political views out loud and this one's that's offended this employee who's who's got different views and and you know we're afraid to say you can't discuss politics at work so what do we do so do you have a script for that and what give me the give me the 30 second version of that script well when employees and leaders are supposed to be working spend your time working if you wish to discuss politics and things like that keep in mind that that's what breaks are for, and that's what lunches are for, all right? You know, it, a little of it is fine, but when it gets to the point that it's causing people discomfort, we're going to address the discomfort, <laughs> okay? You can't, can't be doing that. I mean, the uh, right now there's a great deal of discussion about sex and gender identity. Mm-hmm. And I have fully addressed that, in this program, okay? One of the things I think leaders should know is there are only two sexes. There's an unlimited number of genders. According to the EEOC's definition of of gender, it's male, female, both, and neither. But if you go on the internet and you look and do a search, you'll find there's at least 76 plus different genders. There's no limit on the number of genders because there's no limit on the way people choose to identify themselves, okay? The thing about, uh, you can't change your sex, but there's all kinds of interventions that can allow you to appear to be a different sex, but it's not just sex. There's all kinds of of, uh, interventions that allow one to change the appearance of their race, sex, and age, but you can't change your race, your sex, or your age. Interesting. So that's uh, that's good. Well, I've I've got one last question. So I've got an upcoming episode with our mutual friend Jimmy Taylor, yes. and we're going to be talking about those HR terms that non-HR people and unfortunately some HR people get wrong. You know, things like at will state and uh, uh, you know uh, those kind of uh, things, but. One that I thought would be really good to ask you is I hear from employees a lot that they throw the word uh, or employers, managers throw the term around insubordination. And um, how do you, if we're going to focus on performance, attendance and behavior. Conduct. What, yeah, yeah, conduct. What does, what is insubordination in that definition? It's misconduct. And there's okay. actual a full page script on how to handle insubordination. And it's actually two scripts, how to handle it in a dangerous and emergency situation where that's part of someone's job and how to handle it uh, when it's not. Okay. It takes a lot of time, effort and cost to get an employee up to speed. And since we're all human beings, sometimes words come out of our mouth, hit our own ears, we realize we made a mistake. So how do coach an employee past a mistake? Okay. You have, you know, as well as I do insubordination, serious misconduct. Okay. And, uh, I'm going to repeat my instruction. If you don't comply with that, I have no choice, but to treat your refusal as insubordination, please don't put us there. So, uh, and then it's making sure leaders understand, do not write somebody up for, for insubordination. If you told them your opinion, they didn't follow it, your suggestion. Okay. Handle as a performance problem. You get enough 
performance problems, maybe it's time to demote or, or terminate someone, but it's understanding the difference. And you mentioned employment at will. For anyone listening, take a look at your employment at will. If it says we have the right to terminate any time with or without reason, it's wrong. It should be with or without cause, because if it says reason, I know a law firm drafted that, and it's, it works this way. Oh, they don't like your race, your face, your sex? Causes three things, attendance, performance, and conduct. The other thing leaders need to know is employment at will has no value in employee relations. It was never intended to be used by anyone other than a judge in a courtroom, okay? You mentioned a legal theory to, to an employee being discharged. They're emotionally upset and they go to an attorney. So you want to not have to defend it? Tie it down to details. Hear the details on your attendance, your performance, your conduct. Perfect. And that's all the time we have. But thank you for joining me today, Mike. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. And thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guests at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.